is great to be with all of you uh, this morning. Uh, I prepared sort of like uh, the first part of a two-part series uh, to share with all of you, you know, and of course, I don't know when I'm going to be speaking again, so I'll probably do the part two the next time. And so uh, this morning, I, I want to just say this as an introduction to my subject for this morning, uh, that there are desires in the core of every human heart that cannot be ignored, cannot be denied or pacified. They must be fulfilled. And every morning when we wake up, whether we are conscious of it or not, we are moved by deep-seated desires that long to be satisfied. And these desires are not superficial ones. They are not fulfilled just by a simple act of gratification. They go much deeper than that. They are an ache of the human heart that are so integral to who we are and in church, you know, we call it the God-shaped vacuum of the human spirit and they are crying out to be fulfilled. These needs cannot be reasoned away, they cannot be dismissed. One way or another, whether legitimately or illegitimately, the longings will be filled. If not attended to, they will rise to the surface, they will master us, and instead of living a life that is led by the spirit, we will be driven by our appetites. Now, notice that the Word of God says we are to live a life that is led by the Spirit as opposed to one that is being driven by our emotional needs. And if we don't attend to these needs and when they become dysfunctional, we will do anything to have them met. The Bible describes sin as caused by the desires that war within us in James chapter 4. Also in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, the Bible says that we are not to give place in our life to the devil. We are exalted. Don't give the devil a foothold in our lives. And in contrast, in the Gospels in John chapter 14 and verse 30, the Lord Jesus made an amazing statement. He said this, the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. Isn't that amazing? He said, the enemy has nothing in me. He has no foothold. He has no place in me. And in the life of the Lord Jesus, I see a picture of complete freedom. Totally free. He is not driven by his appetites, nor do they tug on his soul. He lives out of a place of being completely led by the Spirit and from a place of love for the Father. He can be in a crowd that wants to make him king, or he can be in a crowd that wants to stone him to death. He will walk right through both completely unaffected, unswayed by the opinions of men. Yet often in life, we make decisions, instead of being led by the Spirit, we make decisions because we are driven by a need for affirmation, maybe for approval, for attention, for affection, or for the opinion and the expectations of men. Much of human sin and dysfunction are actually caused by prolonged unmet needs. For example, we all know we need love and affection. All of us, even the men, just as sometimes as men, we like to look tough and cool, you know? We are like, no, we don't need the lovey-dovey stuff. No, we don't, we do. We need love and affection. And if we don't get our needs for love and affection met, we know that we will get them met in very, very unhealthy and compulsive manner. And so some of these yearnings are placed deep within us by God when He knitted us together in our mother's womb. 
for the purpose of drawing us into Himself. And when we understand their origin in God, we understand that they can never be fulfilled apart from a relationship with Him. They give us insight into our design as God's masterpieces. They reveal the wisdom of our Creator who placed these desires in us to reflect His own personality and lead us to Himself. We are made in His image, my friends, and He intentionally planted deep yearnings within our hearts that only He can fill. We are wired up to need, to want, and to find our satisfaction in God and God alone. This is the essence of God's brilliant design. He does not want us to be given over to any lesser pleasure other than Himself. And when these needs are not fulfilled in God, we are left empty, dissatisfied, broken, disconnected. And yet when we understand how we are wired up, we understand the true purpose of life. Because God is not a haphazard inventor. He does not want us to be given over to anything other than Himself. And He intentionally designed us with conscious decision. He is very intentional, my friends. He doesn't just cruise through. A lot of times we cruise through life and we react to things that happen in life. But God is so intentional with everything that He does in our life. Every upgrade that He wants to bring in every area of our lives. In His sovereignty, He put these yearnings deep within us, not to control us or to manipulate us, but to satisfy us and fulfill us to the uttermost. If some of us have been following uh, the Community Plus, you have been watching the services online, you will have noticed on the set, at the background of the set, there's this poster with this quote, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. This is, of course, written by that wonderful Bible teacher, John Piper. I wanna say that again. God is most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied. God is most glorified in you, I'm sorry, when you are most satisfied in Him. Not only is there no conflict between our satisfaction and God's glory, but God's glory shines in our satisfaction when our satisfaction is in Him. And since God is the source of greatest fulfillment and since He is the greatest treasure in the world and since His glory is the most satisfying gift He could possibly give us, therefore, it is the kindest, most loving thing that He could possibly do reveal Himself for our everlasting enjoyment. That is why the psalmist says in Psalm 16 verse 11, in the presence of God is fullness of joy at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. How we respond to these deep-seated desires in the core of who we are will determine our path in life. People spend time either denying these needs or fulfilling them in unhealthy, ungodly, and sometimes even destructive ways. Imagine, friends, the time and energy we could save if we realize and acknowledge these longings as inescapable God-given desires and then position our hearts to allow them to be answered in the way God intended. In fact, if you study the etymology of the word desire, it can actually be broken into two parts. D, which means of, sire, father. Desire is something that is of the Father, birthed inside us by Father God, that cannot be fulfilled apart from a relationship with Him. And so I say all this 
to set the stage for what I want to share with you today because one of these desires that God placed in us is the aspiration and the desire and the need for greatness. Many years ago, I had a dream and I saw in my dream a huge school hall filled with students. It was like school assembly, you know? And then Pastor Nang was standing on stage and he stood up to speak to this hall filled with students and he said, the title of my message is The Seed of Greatness. And then I woke up. I wish I heard the rest of the message. So I only got the title, and I have to do the rest of the message myself. And so the title of my message this morning is The Seed of Greatness. We see this seed of greatness clearly in children, yet to be taught pragmatism by adults and the pressures of life. In their role-playing games, they all desire to be some superhero who saves the world of evil, or a certain profession that helps others. This seed is planted deep within us by God and is pulling on us constantly to nurture it, to feed it, to give it room to grow and to express itself. While all at the same time, a war is going on and sin and the weight of the issues of life wants this seed of greatness in us to lie dormant as long as possible. We have an innate drive within us that want to undertake some superhuman feat so others can be impacted. Because God created us to long to make a contribution to the world that is significant, most of us cannot bear the thought that the extent of our lives could be summed up in a few lines engraved on a tombstone. There must be more. We were created to do that which is relevant and significant. God designs us to desperately want to make a difference in the lives of others. We need to know we are making a contribution that is significant to God, one that God esteems and remembers forever, while at the same time being sure we are impacting people now and achieving eternal reward in heaven. Satisfy this cry in our spirit. A life of meaning involves living in a way that contributes to the enrichment of others in this age and in the age to come. And I want to share with us this morning that the seed of greatness expresses itself in a few ways. First of all, the seed of greatness expresses itself in risk-taking and the heroic. It produces an appetite for the heroic and risk-taking. Now, how many of you here in this place, you love roller coasters? Wow. This is my crowd. What shall I say about roller coasters? They are from the pit of hell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, I never understood why people will take roller coasters and scream their heads off. You know? Because most of the time, I'll be watching instead of being on it. So when this roller coaster zoom past, they'll be like, ah! I'm thinking to myself, if that's such a terrible experience, why don't you just don't do it? But you see, someone, some people just love the sense of risk and exhilaration. I remember when uh, me and my wife, we went for a honeymoon, we went to Japan. So we went to Disneyland Tokyo. And my wife loves roller coasters. And so she went for it, you know, I express my risk-taking in a very different way. I express my risk-taking in telling my wife on our honeymoon to go on the roller coaster herself. <laughs> and you see, so there's something about, about that sense of risk 
Sometimes we watch extreme sports or we watch someone undertaking a superhuman feat. Do you realize that something within your, yourself, you find that something within yourself is actually cheering them on? We are inspired. I love to watch this, you know, some of you know these talent shows, right? America's Got Talent and so on. And then they have these golden buzzer videos. You know these golden buzzer videos where these exceptionally talented people get a straight pass into the next round or something like that. And I love to watch these golden buzzer videos. And whenever I watch them, for some reason, I'll always be in tears because I'm so inspired. And sometimes it's someone from an unlikely, underprivileged background. Sometimes it's a child with Down syndrome or something like that. But in that moment, they step onto the stage in spite of their outward, whatever they are going through. It's like in that moment, they display the greatness of God that is placed within them by the Creator. And it's like that one moment, that greatness of God is, is displayed. And I'm, I'm just inspired. It's like all of a sudden, while I'm watching, something comes alive on the inside of me. It's like that seed of greatness in them is just calling out to the one in me and saying to me, you can also be great. And I get inspired. Until our, our pragmatism and our fear start speaking to us again. Risk-taking, adventure, and the sense of the heroic. Have you ever met people who are living on, on the edge? They live with such a sense of adventure. I was just talking to a friend recently. She was sharing with me how in her career, in her career she's, uh, she's in this season in her, her work, her job, that you know, she has a lot of free time, her pay is comfortable, she's doing, you know, or she's happy doing what she's uh, doing, you know, but she feels like she wants to change job. I said to her, you know, why? If you're comfortable with the pay, you have a lot of free time, <laughs> why do you want to change job? And she said, you know, I need to be challenged. I need to be in a place where I'm so uncomfortable and uncertain. I'm wondering to myself, how does that work? And I saw sometimes people just are wired up to need that sense of risk and living on the edge because of the greatness of God within them. And by heroic, I mean that willingness to risk everything so that others can experience something significant and life-changing. We all come alive when we watch people like Heidi Baker giving up her life in Orange County, California to reach the poorest of the poor. Or Jim Elliot, that missionary who gave his life up, literally died as a martyr trying to reach the tribal people of South America, from whom came that famous quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, there's something about the greatness of God that when we step into it, we bring life to others, we inspire them to break through and start stepping into their destiny. The second way that the seed of greatness expresses itself in is in making a difference in the life of others. Our God-given desires include our longing to contribute to the life of others, those that we care about, as well as those that we have never met. We long to share things with others that change them or bring them joy. For example, we receive great news about something, we can't wait to tell the ones that we love. We love being a part 
of that which thrill the people that we love and care about. This desire is fundamental to our humanity. Anytime something has had a big impact on us, we are driven to share it. When we read a book that helps us in our relationship with our children, immediately we don't want to buy that book and give it away to all our friends. Essentially, we are driven to share with others that which brings us joy. And that ability to bring joy and make an impact on others is something put on our hearts by the God who loves people. Without this sense of impact on others, we lose something dynamic in life, and our sense of relevance is often connected with doing something that brings life to others. We know that stories touch the lives of the hearts of people, and we have, we have a great story to tell. We can't wait to tell it to people. We desire to make a difference with friends and co-workers as we get to know people better. The Lord began to reveal His heart for them. Our colleague sitting next to us becomes a child of God in our eyes. The elderly neighbor, maybe living next door to us, grows dear to us and we start thinking, what can I do to bless her? Because once we taste God's love, we want to impart it to others. We are not content to experience the greatness of God's love alone. As we grow in the Lord, we are drawn to impact more people than just those in our circle. We are drawn to pray for maybe the, witness, uh, the waitress that serves us in the restaurant or the cashier at the checkout counter in the grocery store. We must make an impact because we don't want and we are not content to live within a bubble when you meet up with someone. You are not content just to talk about football results or maybe the weather. You want to give something of substance. There is something that makes us want to shout good news from the rooftops in hopes that others can be saved from some of that, our own heartaches. And the idea of transforming someone's life become irresistible. All this is part of God's grand plan to impart His heart to us. He planted the seed of greatness within us with the express intent of partnering with us. He makes it clear that His perfect plan includes our imperfect co cooperation. He doesn't need it, but He wants our participation to reach the people around us. The third way that the seed of greatness expresses itself in is our role in the global story. Do you know, friends, that we play a significant role in the global story? We are living in a time of great conflict with eternal consequences, but we are not footnotes to the script that God has for the world. God did not create the world because He was bored. He's not looking down on us wondering, what am I going to do next with these people? He's looking for people who will partner with Him to bring about His purposes on earth. He has big plans for His people. He said to His disciples, who are mostly uneducated and unimpressive, you will disciple nations. And then literally, he launched a global mission movement that will involve them giving up their lives. And so God is looking for a people who wants to make a deep and lasting impact on others and people who will partner with him on a level that goes beyond just pursuing a career or personal happiness. He gave clear instructions in the final moments before he ascended to be with the Father. He said that the plan for planet Earth will involve the voluntary partnership of His people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
I say voluntary partnership. Why? Because the Bible says this, that the day will come where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess his Lord. One day, everyone, whether we like it or not, we will have to submit and obey God. And so we can do it by compulsion or as believers, sometimes we obey God and we submit to God out of a sense of duty because we know it is our right as believers to do that. Or we can submit to God, obey God, partner with God voluntarily out of our love for Him. I think voluntary submission is the highest that God wants us to reach. And that culmination of that partnership must be for us to function as the bride of Christ, joined together, fully in love with Jesus. And with this in mind, that we are, as the, as the church, called to be the bride of Christ, our role becomes so much more significant. We will rule and reign alongside Jesus forever. He calls us co-heirs. That's the seed of greatness in full bloom, I believe. An eternal impact and an eternal role in the story that He is unfolding. Some of us may think that the desire for greatness is self-serving. It is not. Neither is it a sign of vanity. It is an expression of being created in the likeness of God. Historically, Christians have dismissed this desire. We confuse it with ungodly ambition and pride. And we think that to dedicate energy to pursuing greatness, to becoming great, is to strive for self-importance or fame. And for too long, the enemy has used these desires to be great as ammunition against us. He accuses us. You just want to be seen. You are building your own kingdom. Sometimes these statements sting us. Why? Because there's some truth in it. We all struggle with this in varying degrees. We have all lived with conflicting feelings over our God-given dreams and aspirations. In fact, we learn quickly not to verbalize it because you will usually be misunderstood and criticized. And so we learn to keep our dreams and yearnings to ourselves. Some of us eventually train ourselves to not even think about being outstanding. And this is helped by our very Asian culture that fears becoming outstanding and because we are afraid of being proud or we are afraid of producing jealousy in others. Have you ever been told by your parents, when you go to your parents, you show them your wonderful examination results, they're like, good, but don't be proud. Huh? <laughs> the truth is, when we fulfill God's potential for our lives, when we move in the gifts and the talents we are blessed with, it will inspire others to their greatness. Even if people around us really do become jealous and insecure, without any intention on our part to boast or to compete or to show off, Sometimes, God can deal with the insecurity in people's heart only when they arise. So in our fear of making people uncomfortable, we learn to be stingy with our praise and encouragement of people. And we learn the false humility of depreciating ourselves. All of the above conditions will combine to form a very religious culture of mediocrity. No risk-taking, no attempts at faith, no innovation, no creativity, don't be outstanding, don't be different, just fit into the box, fit into the system, be like everyone else, and end up our God-given dreams are stifled. Because religion wants to put a cap on the greatness of God's people, but the kingdom celebrates it. 
That's the difference between the religious spirit and the kingdom. The kingdom says, go ahead, be great, because you are sons and daughters of a great God. In the kingdom, we have permission to pursue greatness. The disciples of Jesus were nobody. Tax collectors, fishermen, maybe somehow in the presence of Jesus, they began to feel a sense of purpose. They began to feel a sense of possibility that they can amount to something great in their lives. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? That sinners, unimpressive people, can be in His presence and desire to amount to something great. So much so that one day, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to the Lord, kneeling down and saying to the Lord, let my son sit on your left hand and on your right hand. I tell you, they are so confident in their greatness when Jesus said to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with baptism? They say, yes, we are. <laughs> That's how confident they are. And you see, when the disciples wanted to be great, Jesus never stopped them. He never said it's wrong to desire and aspire to greatness. No, he just taught them the way to true greatness. If you want to be great, serve. We must realize we cannot repent for having the propensity for greatness, but only to seek to fulfill it in the wrong ways. Because we cannot repent of the way we are formed by God any more than we can repent for our physical DNA. No one has ever thought of asking God's forgiveness because too tall or too short. People might not like these characteristics, but we don't view them as wrong. They are just a part of who we are. The truth is we are created by a great God to be great. But we will have lasting significance only as we walk in obedience to God's will. Our greatness is in God, not apart from God. We must learn to embrace this in a healthy, godly way. Allow God to nurture the seed of greatness within us. Only then we will enter into the true satisfaction and joyous living that God has created us for. Thankfully, the Lord knows why we were created. He wrote the story that demands people do great things and planted these seeds within us. The Holy Spirit witnesses within us as well that we are people who accomplish great exploits for God. The Bible says creation awaits the revealing of the sons of God. God knows who we are. The devil knows who we are. Creation knows who we are. Who we are. Sometimes we don't. And in conclusion, I want to say this as a balance and also like an introduction to part two. Most people grossly underestimate how significant their lives are because we are convinced. No one ever listens to or watches us. No one will ever remember what we have said or done. And I want to say this. If greatness is measured by numbers, then Cristiano Ronaldo and Ariana Grande will be the greatest. One is a footballer, one is a pop star. Why? Because they have the first and the second most Instagram followers. If numbers is a measure of greatness, they will be the greatest. If one moment of radicality is the measure of greatness, then that one person who straps a bomb to himself, blows himself up, is the greatest. Because they may influence others for a while, but they don't make a lasting impact. They hardly change people's life for the better in a lasting way. 
A person who is truly influential possesses the ability to transform the long-term decisions and quality of life of people. They have the ability to produce lasting change. And while we usually associate greatness with influence, there is a twist to how this works in the kingdom of God. Because from God's perspective, influence can be a whisper and not necessarily a shout. It is the kind words spoken to the stressed out colleague. It is a glance of approval or the word of appreciation given to a child or a friend. Greatness lies not in numbers, volume or radicality, but in consistency and sincerity. Ask someone who has made the greatest, most lasting impact on their lives. Usually they will tell you someone that they have known for an extended period of time. Because while people may be wowed by that one moment of stage presence and pomp, deep within, we are most deeply impacted by the people who walk out their commitment with daily consistency. We call this faithfulness. It op operates without fanfare. God sees, He esteems, He remembers, and then He rewards the labor of love done for others out of love for Him. And he said he will always remember every word or deed done in service to those for the sake of his name. I want to close with this. In that amazing movie, The Hobbit, I don't know how many of you have seen it. There was this scene, all right? Of course, in The Hobbit, the main characters of The Hobbit are these people, okay, who are tiny, right? They are small people. They are called halflings or the hobbits, right? And of course, they are the ones that sort of changed that whole storyline because of the impact that they made. And so one day, that wizard Gandalf was asked this question, why did you choose the hobbits? And Gandalf made this statement. He said that the evil wizard Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found, Gandalf said. I found that is the small everyday deeds of ordinary people that can keep the darkness at bay. Because we have the seed of greatness in us, we are created by a great God, we can do great things, we can do small things in a great way. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. The purpose of my message this morning is not to get us to be impressed with ourselves but to be impressed with a great God. We are created by a great God. And how can a great God create any lesser thing other than great people, other than great sons and daughters? So let's take a few moments this morning. Let's just worship the Lord. Let's just lift up our hearts to Him. And just connect with the greatness of our Father who created us in His image and planted that greatness within us. Father, we thank You this morning. In Jesus' name, for your greatness. We worship your greatness, God. We ascribe glory and praise to your greatness. Father, we thank you that we are created sons and daughters in your image. And you have planted the seed of greatness within us. We thank you, God. Father, I just pray this morning you will break, Lord, every limitation of your people. Lord, place upon us, maybe by ourselves, place upon us, maybe by culture and the environment. Every religious mindset will be broken in Jesus' name. Lord, that the limitation, God, that we place on ourselves will be broken in Jesus' name. Wherever we are, 
whatever age group we are of, in Jesus' name. I just feel here there's, uh, there are people here in this place that there is such a desire for greatness within you. Like you want to excel wherever God has placed you in your career. You want to excel. You want to be outstanding. You want to innovate and be creative. But because of the environment, the culture, you feel sort of like the environment and the culture has placed a lid on you and you don't dare to just be yourself and just release what God has placed within you. I feel like this is the word of the Lord to you. You love and you honour the people around you. You honour the culture but you find out, you discover what God has placed in you, who you are, and you continue on that path to pursue that greatness God has placed within you. And the time will come when you don't have to be unsubmissive, you don't have to be rebellious, but the greatness within you will grow and people around you will see it. It's like God will grow that seed. And, and in time, that seed as it grows will begin to break off the lid that people have placed over you. Father, I thank you. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that we will be a people, God, that will reflect your greatness to the world. I pray for the Spirit of the Lord to just come, feel your people. Feel your people, God. The Spirit of the Lord, Lord, when it comes and it falls upon your people, we will dream again. Lord, we will have visions again. Father, I pray for the dreams in the hearts of the people here in Jesus' name. You break off every discouragement, every disillusionment, every religious mindset, and every lead, every limitation, God, that the world has placed upon us will be broken off. We thank you. We yield, Lord, ourselves to you, our giftings, our talents, God, who we are. Lord, because we know, God, we are created in your image, God. We thank you, we bless you in Jesus' name. Now I bless your people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big, big hand clap of praise. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.